Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. It's been another week in the World Ducks Federation in the week just gone with events in Romania, New Zealand and Australia and uh, a number of places through those events were determined for the big platinum graded Australian Open in August. Only one guest on this week's show after Alexander Merckx got held up by airport security in Eindhoven last week and the, the man who'll be joining us on the show this week is New Zealand's Hopai Puha. Hopai and I caught up last week to discuss him winning the first two WDF events of the year in New Zealand, his lakeside debut back in April, managing to show what he's capable of at Q School and the Challenge Tour earlier this year and the crazy story about his attempts to get from Lakeside to Barnsley to make his Pro Tour debut. I'm now delighted to be joined by a man who's won two WDF ranking events this month, Hopai Puha. Hopai, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. It's good to get you back on the show. We last spoke in August of last year. You just won the New Zealand Open, and then after that, darts in New Zealand more or less stopped again because of covid restrictions having been over in the uk and europe for for half of the year how frustrating was it for you when everything shut down again uh yeah it was it was disappointing but at the same time it it, um, gave me more family time um got to play a little bit of golf and just got to get back on the practice board so there was some negatives but as as at the same time there was a lot of positives a little break from uh from darts wasn't wasn't um, hurting me at all and i suppose that family time you'd missed out on that earlier in the year so in a sense you managed to to get it back during those few months off yes 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 100 <laughs> percent. you'd qualified for the world championship at lakeside that was supposed to be in january and i know that when we spoke before, you said that Q School was a nice tag-on at the end of the World Championship. No matter which one you were playing in, you'd sort of be able to be over yeah. here for a longer period of time. When Lakeside got postponed, was it an easy decision for you to still come over here for, for Q School? Was that always the plan anyway? Oh, Q School was the, it's always the top of the goals to, to get a tour card. So that was a very, that was an easy decision. Our restrictions here doesn't make it easy to come home, but um, it's still not only my goal, but my wife's goal as well for us to to get a tour card. So that was, yeah, that was an easy decision. Hmm. And when we spoke last time, you said that by the time Q School came round, you'd been away from home so long that the, the fatigue was setting in and, and you didn't feel that you were able to, to give of your best. How did you feel about your, your Q-School performance this time round? Yeah, I, I felt like I played good. Um, I felt like it was in it was within um, arm's reach of, of getting it. You know, I, I only got two points. Um, qualified the first stage on the first day. Yeah, I, I guess four points off getting a tour card. That's only one more win per day. And I felt like I had chances in those games as well. So... Uh, yeah, I was close, even though I still wasn't at my best. Hmm. And soon after that, you managed to get your first experience of playing on the, the Challenge Tour, which, with the combined fields, make for very, very long days. How did you find the, the Challenge Tour experience? It was it was very tough. Uh, in New Zealand, we don't 
we don't get to play any tournaments like like that, especially with that that kind of level of players. We we play we don't play any knockout games in New Zealand. So so when we come over there, we we're never really prepared. It, I th- I had one good day, and that's just because I kept. I kept winning and getting further and further into the tournament, and then I started playing a little bit better. Um, and that's just, I guess, how we play in New Zealand. We don't play our best starts until after like a few hours, I guess. Mm. So that that was a little bit different. And and I would I would turn up an hour and a half before, and everybody else would already be there, you know warm, practicing, going round and round in circles, throwing at the dartboard, so it was good, and I learnt a lot, and um, made me better. Mm. So do you feel that the round-robin system that you guys use over in New Zealand, do you feel that means that in something like Q-Score, the Challenge Tour, you're not necessarily at your best until, as you say, two or three games into the day, which, when the standard's that high, you might already have been caught cold? Yeah, <laughs> 100%. That's why when we when we get onto TV and that we, we don't perform how we how we and how people back home know we can perform because we're just not truly ready. Hmm. It doesn't matter how much we can practice beforehand. We just get up there and it's just it's like our first, it is our first game, so pretty hmm. cold. Hmm, for sure. <laughs> you got to the event three final uh, in the, the first Challenge Tour block. You averaged over ninety in, in seven of your eight games got two ton-plus averages as well. Losing the final, I know, was a tough defeat to take. But to put a run like that together in a field like that, how proud of, of that run were you? Yeah, it was awesome. I guess I surprised myself. Like, I knew it was there, and it's just those first games, everyone's so good, you know. And, and I think I was having 90-odd average and losing... You know, the other games, so the other days. I take losses as as I, I learn more from them. So I created chances, but I didn't take the opportunities. I missed a, a lot of doubles in that final. I think I might have missed a dozen. So, um, and still had a good average. So, yeah, mm. I learned a lot from that. And when we spoke last time, you you spoke about you know the, the emotional challenge that when you've been over before, being here for for five months, the emotional toll that takes on you, being away from your family as you try and pursue this dream. When you get a run like that to get to a final, and you you prove that you can do it and you can get those results, that must push any of the, the doubts or negative feelings you're having away and give you that belief. That's definitely. Yeah, it does. It does. It just proves to myself that that I that I can do it. And then a couple of months later, you went home, got through the quarantine system in New Zealand, and then a couple of months later, you were back in the UK for the <laughs> WDF World Championships. How was that experience of playing on the iconic Lakeside stage? It was awesome. I loved it, even though the result didn't go my way and. And all of that, it was cool. It was uh, it was very cold at Lakeside. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I enjoyed every moment of it, and I uh, met a lot of people. And yeah, 
as an experience that I'm going to have forever. It must have been nice as well because there were three of you, yourself, Landon and Desi over as well. So it was a bit different to the times you'd been before in the, or certainly when you went to the, the PDC World Championship when you'd more or less come over on your own. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, 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 and it wasn't lockdown, so we could do the touristy stuff as well, which was good, take our mind off the darts. And, and we went and we caught the train into the city and did all of that stuff, looked at the... Um, we went to the the palace and yeah, it was it was totally different this trip. It was way more things to do. <laughs> Certainly, uh, and we'll touch on the pro tour experience at the end of your trip in a minute. But I want to ask you about that game at at Lakeside, a two one defeat to to Ben Hazel. Started the first set quite yeah. well and then. Missed some doubles, he took it out. You won the second set and looked like you got into it. Third set sort of went away from you. How did you assess your performance against Ben? Uh, I struggled. Um, I mean, I put a lot of practice into into preparing for that tournament. I was doing at least five hours a day heading, heading into that. Um, felt really good. I, I And then I got up there and my darts were landing a different way on the board and it just, my head just couldn't understand what was happening. So I was battling myself, wondering why it was doing it. And then as I was going for doubles, I felt like I had to try and miss to make it. If that made sense, mm. it just made worse, made it worse. <laughs> there were a couple of times up there where you looked really frustrated at, you know, where the dart had landed or how it had landed to, that sort of tallies with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah just yeah, the, the amount of practice I put in, you get used to seeing a dart land on the board a certain way and it was it was it was like there was a breeze in there. And and Ben Ben was struggling as well. He said that there was something wasn't right and but I mean that's that starts to happen sometimes and it's who deals with it the best and, and I yeah, I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I noticed that from when you played at Alexandra Palace that the previous year, you changed your walk-on song. What what was the reason behind the, the change and what was the significance of the song that you chose? Well, the, when, you, when you pick your um, song for Ali Pally, that they ask you to do a list of um, songs and then they go through and see if they can get the rights to it. So... I'm not sure if they could or not, but that was my last resort, the one at Ali Pally. Mm. I think that was the fourth one on the list. So I was surprised when that one came up. I thought one of the first three would would be there. So the one they used at Lakeside, was that the original first choice for you then? Yeah. And is that, uh, I know it's a, a Maori song, so what's the significance of that song to you personally? Um, I was born... And my family is from where where that song was made. Oh, okay. The end of the week, while you were over in the UK for the World Championship, you got the call up to to play on the Pro Tour, the Players' Championship weekend in Barnsley. Now, I know you had some difficulties trying to navigate from Lakeside up to to Barnsley, didn't you? (laughs) I sure did. (laughs) I was, um, because there's not... The, the reception at Lakeside isn't very good, so I left my phone 
in my in my room. Uh, Lakeside that day finished. I got home about eleven o'clock and noticed that I had some missed calls and messages uh, from Mac Alkin, Damon Heder, and then um, I think it was Gary who runs the the Pro Tours to say that I had a spot if I wanted it. Um, this was the Friday night, so I, I I rang them back and said, "Yes, I'm definitely." Um, I definitely want to play in that. I, so I, first thing I looked at was an Uber from Frimley to, to Barnsley. And, and it was about, oh, I think it was about £280. So I was happy to, to do that. So when when I woke up in the morning, I set my alarm for quarter to five. And um, when I woke up, I checked the Uber and it was £500. So I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So I had a look at the train signal and I booked the train ticket, got to the train station. Oh, actually, I, I called an Uber to get me to the train station and then that was 40 minutes late. So I called the Uber to, I think it's Farnborough train station, got my ticket, got out of the train station and the train was already there on the other side of the track. So I quickly ran over the the overbridge and got to the other side and, and the train left so I missed the first train straight away <laughs> God. so 30 minutes later another one came hopped on that got into um, Waterloo and now I've missed the first train so now my car doesn't work in any of the gates <laughs> oh my god yeah uh, yeah so I was yeah I was a it was a good experience, I guess, and then, um, and so then I, I managed my way through there. Um, then I, had, I, I didn't know where I was going, but everyone was pointing me in, in the direction I needed to be. I uh, hopped on the underground, which I thought was the right train, to King's Cross, and the train stopped at Queen's Park, so I hopped on the wrong train. Yeah, <laughs> and then um, had to catch an Uber from there to St. Pancras. And went to hop on that train, which which would have just got me there on time, and I left my ticket in the Uber. So at that stage, I had a look at an Uber to Barnsley, which was still four hundred pounds or so, and and the time it would take me to get there wasn't any quicker than the train. So just got another eighty pound train ticket, and just told them I wasn't going to make it in time. Um, I got there about. I think I got there about quarter to 12. So, yeah, I missed the first day. But I still went there and watched and seen the run that the Aussies had. They played pretty good that day. I uh, just, just supported them and hmm. tried to prepare as well as I can for, for, this, for the Sunday. Hmm. So you'd already been in the room on the, on the Saturday seeing the play and so on. But when you walked in there on the Sunday as a player, as part of that field... Yeah. Was there an element of it being overwhelming with, you know, all those the, the top guys there and you were suddenly part of that group rather than, you know, being a guest on on the World Series or a qualifier or something? Yeah, well, the World Series helps because you get to see what, what goes on backstage. The World Cup, I see a lot of them as well playing in the World Cup. Uh, most of them <coughs> saw my story on Twitter, so they all were coming up to me and... You know, just having a bit of a laugh, and you know, finally got here. <laughs> we seen what seen what you're going through, and they're having a bit of a laugh. So everyone was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
Yeah, of course. And after all of that, you actually got to play some darts, played Raymond Van Barneveld, which was a pretty amazing draw for your first ever Pro Tour. What did you take from that, that game with Barney and the overall Pro Tour experience? Oh, yeah, I would have loved to have played the day before. I was practicing with a lot of the pros, and I was practicing with Tassoza, and I see on TV the amount of 180s or whatever he hits. And I, I was there for a few minutes, and, you know, he was going 180, 140s, and then I, felt I, then I found myself going 180s, 180, 140, 180. I was like, oh, maybe I, maybe I am <laughs> meant to be here. And then, and then I, um, it was time to go, felt good. Got on the board against Barney, and my first start was under the triple twenty. Like every time, I was like, "Oh no, not one of these days." But I felt like my practice game was worthy, like everybody says. But um, yeah, it just didn't happen again. Just didn't happen against Barney. Barney was too too consistent, too clinical. Punished when I missed, as you do. But yeah, can't take anything away from playing a pro tour that was, that was awesome somewhere where fans over in the, you know the UK and Europe have uh, saw you have success really for the first time was at the World Cup when you know you were part of the team that got to the, the quarterfinals with Cody Harris now this year yeah. the World Cup team New Zealand were back in the World Cup and it was uh, Ben Robb and Warren Parry in the team now I know you were a little bit frustrated, not that you know they'd been picked, but just because of COVID, how few tournaments they actually had to choose from to to pick the team. Oh yeah, we 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 all travel together. We all have the same goals. Um, if, if I don't make it, I back them. It was disappointing how the team was picked, but man, that's that's out of my control. Maybe I just didn't play good enough in the UK to be noticed but I was, I'm still happy for them I, I played the um, New Zealand Masters uh, I won that I went to bed and then got back up to watch the boys in, in the th- on on the Saturday so um, yeah hmm. even though I'm disappointed I'm still happy for them yeah of course <laughs> now you mentioned the New Zealand Masters there New Zealand's WF Tour has resumed this month after the the COVID break. They played two comps and you've won both of them. That first one, the Canterbury Open, so a long while for darts to, to come back properly in New Zealand like that. So what did it mean for you to, to win that first competition of the year? Oh, it's good. It's, it's more about the points. Uh, I got the goals. Had the, there's the Australian, the Australian Open has two two spots for New Zealand, so straight away I saw that and I, I put it as a goal and yeah, had a couple of good results, uh, one of which the boys weren't there that were right up there, so it made it a little bit easier, um, but yeah, darts starting back up is, we went from having no darts to every single weekend. The New Zealand Masters this weekend just gone a silver tournament. You won the final five four against Mark Cleaver. Talk me through the final. How did it how did it play out? Um, I lost the ball. I, I was behind the whole way. Um, went to the final leg and we were both on finishes after twelve. Mark Cleaver missed two darts to win. So his, how his darts sit? They um, kind of like Phil Taylor's low. Quite, uh, land quite low, flight low, 
And so he had his first one at double was just on top of the double 20. So he had to move over to the side and then he had a, a double five. Um, and I had 74 left and went for the 42, 14, 20, and then dart went in for 15 dart break. And that, that was, yeah, that was the 5-4 finish. Nice way to win it. That win qualifies you for the Australian Open at the beginning of August. You said that's a, you know, a goal of yours. You know, Neil Duff, the world champion, is going to be there. Luke Littler, yourself, Ben Robb, and you know, some of the best boys from Australia as well are going to be there. So how much are you looking forward to, to that tournament and that opportunity to, to play in another international event like that? Yeah, it's good. It's 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 only an option. I have I've I've had the invite, but at the same time, DPNZ have put um, events three and four on the same weekend, and so the top two after three and four get Hamilton Dart Masters. So um, now I now I'm in that position where I got to choose. Um, we 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 have World Series qualifiers in a few weeks, so I have to try and win one of those. So that I don't have to play the DPNZ, hmm. but yeah, that starts. You, you know, you can't you can't have a cherry and either two. I guess they say, got to got to make choices sometimes. But yeah, that's the predicament I'm in at the moment. Mm. Yeah, of course, and you know, I, I know this from speaking to you know Warren and Ben and and the Australian boys and yourself in the past. I know those World Series events mean a tremendous amount for you guys how much you know are the darting community in, in New Zealand looking forward to having the world's best players back in the country oh they are everyone messages me to get tickets and I can't find it so it just shows <laughs> that it's sold out <laughs> and uh, sort of a last question from me then you've had two appearances at the, the world championship now one PDC, one WDF. Will it be third time lucky at the end of this year for you to get your first win and perhaps achieve a little bit more than that as well? Yeah, hopefully. I um, I haven't performed well on the stage. Um, I've had a lot of experience now and there's there's no excuses. I've, I've got new barrels at the moment that I've had for about a month and they're feeling really good, slowly getting used to them and... Um, by the end of the year, it should be hopefully peaking at the right time. Mm. And uh, are they shot barrels that you're you're using? Yes, yes. It's a prototype at the moment. Going through um, contract renewals, trying to squeeze shot out of whatever I can. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and then, yeah, they'll, they'll be on sale in the near future, I'm guessing. Oh, nice. And I suppose for you, is the primary goal for this year to be at the top of that DPNZ table come the end of the year and, and get an Ali Pali return? Yeah, well, well, we play a top 16 playoff. Hmm. So you only have to be in the top 16. You have to play in half of DPNZ events. I'd love to play in all of them, but at the end, it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to. So I'm just going to be trying to play in as many as I can, get in the top 16, and then. We'll see what happens come playoff time. Hmm. And obviously, the way you've started the year, you'll probably be in contention for a WDF place if that PDC goal doesn't work out for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good thing. We got we've got options. 
Yeah, which after a couple of years of really difficult travel restrictions and stuff, having those options open to you again is obviously a brilliant thing. Yeah, 100%. There, there was uh, advantages and disadvantages of COVID travel. I mean, the advantage was there was nobody on the planes and you got to lie down on the seats. <laughs> <laughs> and now that travel's opened, there's people sitting everywhere. The, the planes are fully booked. Can't sleep anywhere. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I did like the plane rides better in COVID, but, yeah. Now, now you can go and do touristy stuff and have a have a pint at the pub. <laughs> exactly, that's the way to be. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Hope. I really appreciate it, and uh, it's been good to see you playing well. And hopefully, strong rest of the year from you as well. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It was lovely to catch up with Hope I last week. The performance and, and the result at Lakeside didn't really go his way. But other than that, I think he's had a really good year and he's getting back to the form that, that took him to his Ali Pali debut back in 2020. He gave a better account of himself at Q School, getting to that final stage, picking up two points. He got to the final of Challenge Tour 3 and, to be fair, the way the game went was pretty unlucky to lose to Steve Haggerty in the end. And then when he went back to New Zealand, there have been five ranked competitions so far this year in New Zealand. Three under the NZDC WDF banner and two under the PDC DPNZ banner. In those five events, Hopeyes won the first two in the WDF and got to the final of the third this weekend, just gone the South Island Masters. And then in the DPNZ ones, he got to the final of the first one and then uh, went out slightly earlier in the second one. But for for five events, to have got to four finals and to have won two of them, you were obviously in really good nick. And hopefully, with the new barrels he spoke about, he's only going to get more and more comfortable with them as the year progresses. I feel fairly comfortable in saying that he'll definitely be at one of the World Championships at the end of this year, the start of next. Whether that's Ali Pali or the WDF one remains to be seen, but... He's certainly trending towards being among the the top places alongside Ben Robin and Warren Parry come the end of the year. I thought what he said about uh, the round-robin format in New Zealand making it harder to adjust when he comes over here, I found that really interesting because that's something I've not necessarily considered before as, as a factor in their performances, but there very likely is something in that. And perhaps, you know, they need more of the, the straight knockout format to get them in that place to, to be more competitive when they come over here. But as I alluded to, Hope I was in action this weekend at the South Island Masters in Invercargill. Him and Ben Robb had already qualified for the Australian Open, so there wasn't too much on the line in that regard for, for both of them, more just chasing ranking points for the World Championship places. And those two, Robert and Puha, they met in the final. Rob this time won 5-3 to defend the title he won last year and win his first title of 2022 in the process barely a week after being in Germany for the PDC World Cup the ability for him to get out there come back so quickly and be back playing darts again is a stark contrast to the the travel restrictions New Zealand have had for the majority of the, the Covid times it's nice to see them much more flexible much more accessible to the rest of the world now it's good for those players and also means that there can be more of the PDC World Series stuff. There can be more of that down there because they're not cut off anymore. So Ben won the men's event in Invercargill. The women's competition, there was still an Australian Open place on the line. Wendy Harper, 
had already qualified for the Australian Open, so she gave the, the South Isle Masters a miss, saved a, a weekend on travelling, and that meant that it was really a free-for-all between Tina Osborne, Desi Mercer and Nicole Reynaud to, to fill that final qualification place. And in the end, it was Nicole who, who came through. She beat both of those other two players I mentioned. She beat Tina Osborne 4-3 in the semis and then Desi Mercer 4-0 in the final to win her second title of the year and so up second place in the regional rankings. Nicole is a tremendous up-and-coming talent. Used to be on the, the youth circuit in New Zealand, now playing the seniors. She's won three titles now in the WF in the space of just over a year. And when you bear in mind, they were cut off for, for 10 months of that. And I think she's got a really bright future ahead of her in the game. I look forward to seeing what she can do at the Australian Open. And hopefully her and Wendy Harper will both be on the show in the coming week. Their ambitions for, for the rest of the year and hopefully, you know, World Championship Blazers on the line for the two of them. You've got to think at this stage it is going to be a straight fight between them for that top spot uh, for the WF place. But obviously you never know what happens, how form can change, how circumstances can change. But... At this point in time, you would certainly say it's going to be between those two. Australia's ranking cut-off for the Australian Open was this past Sunday after the silver-graded Victorian Classic. Mal Cumming won the men's Victorian Classic, his first title in more than three years, but actually missed out on automatic Australian Open qualification because he'd only acquired six points in the qualification period prior to that event, so... Uh, mathematically the odds were against him and the way the results panned out he ended up missing out on one of those three places. Mal played really well uh, to, to win the title he survived match starts in the quarterfinals against Sam Ballinger and then Mal survived match starts again uh, in the final against Peter Machin. Peter was 4-2 up in that game and then was always ahead from that point they traded seven breaks on the spin but the way the, the you know the, the game was structured Peter was always that fraction ahead and he missed match starts at the ball at 7-6 up and at 7-7, with Mal capitalising with finishes of 80 and 32 to, to wrap up an 8-7 win. Although he's missed out on the Australian Open, uh, Mal does now top the WF World Championship race for Australia because that's done over the course of a season, so from the start of 2022 onwards, and not over a 365-day calendar year as the Aussie Open table was. The Australian Open places go to Peter Machin, Raymond Smith and Jeremy Fagg. But there are four qualifying events before the tournament with two places available in each of those qualifiers. Uh, so that's eight places in total. And given that uh, Moama, where they're playing the Australian Open, isn't too far from Victoria, you'd certainly fancy Mal to, to make the travel and, and go for one of those places and be a very strong addition to the field. We have seen a number of the state qualifiers played in Australia as well. Uh, among those to have come through so far, Jamie Rundle won it in Queensland. Brandon Weening, son of uh, Wayne Weening, friend of the show, he came through in Victoria. Leon Towns won in Tasmania. I did wonder with the Tasmanian one whether we'd see Corey Cadby in action because he won the Emu Bay Classic there a few weeks ago, but it was Leon that won that one. David Platt came through in Western Australia. And then Aaron Morrison uh, won the South Australia qualifier, beat Peter Machen in that final. Uh, much like Mao had survived match starts to win the men's title, it was a similar story in the women's. Tory Kewish surviving multiple match starts against Kim Mitchell to win her second title of the year. And in the process, Tory booked her place at the Australian Open. I think that would have, people would have assumed that her qualifying would have been a foregone conclusion, but 
the way the events worked last year, she didn't actually play in any of the, the tournaments last year, so she was relying on results in 2022 and has won two events from two that she's played in. So uh, she's in. Um, but I wanted to, to say a word on Kim Mitchell as well because she's having a tremendous resurgence. Prior to the start of this year, her last WDF title was the 1993 Pacific Masters. Now, this year, she won the Murray Bridge Classic back in April, and then two weeks ago, she became the first woman to win a DPA event outright. And then in this tournament, uh, the Victorian Classic, she posted a new career-high best average, an 84.6 in the quarterfinals. Uh, And then she posted a 70-plus average in the semis to beat uh, Amanda Locke. She was 5-3 up in the final against Tory, but couldn't take out her chances. And then Tory won the last three legs on the spin to take it 6-5. Mitchell missed out on Australian Open place. The two places for the ladies' table going to Tory and uh, Amanda Locke. In addition to New Zealand and Australia, there were two ranking events this past weekend in Romania. Considering it was a bronze and silver weekend, there was actually a really good quality field in the men's event, a number of highly ranked uh, players. The women's field, by contrast, was quite decimated, really, because it clashed with the UKDA National Finals and the women's series events over in Barnsley. The men's open, the silver-graded event, was won by Patrick Kovac from Hungary, who defeated Scott Marsh 5-0 in the final Uh, Patrick wasn't super hot in the doubles in the final, but he consistently scored better than Scott did, which meant that he had multiple chances in every leg and eventually he converted them. That's the second title of the year for Patrick, and that means he's now comfortably in the top two places in the Eastern European region alongside Laszlo Kadar. Um, Patrick played really well in the open. He kicked off with three 4-0 wins on the spin before beating Kadar 4-3 in the last 32, which is a really good game. Last 16, he saw off Eduard Sabo for one. And in the quarterfinals, another last leg decider where he pipped friend of the show, Sean McDonald, for three. Semi-finals was a pretty scrappy game against Jordan Brooks, but that was always to be expected because they finished playing the men's tournament at you know about half past 12 UK time. And then Patrick didn't come on to play that semi-final for you know two, three hours. So you're in a hot run. You've, you've won six games on the trot in a, in a you know a fairly short period of time and then you cool down for a couple of hours and come back on the stage so it was always likely there was going to be a bit of a cool off for both him and Jordan Jordan had, had had a good run up to that point beat Neil Duff in the quarterfinals uh, but Patrick just edged out that scrappy game for two before then beating Scott Marsh in the final uh, I know Scott will be quite disappointed with his performance in the final, finished with a 71 average, so that's well below what he's capable of. But prior to that point, he'd, he'd played really well to reach his second ranking final of the year. And with it being a silver event, those 56 points for second place are obviously very valuable for him as he chases a return to the, the World Championship, where he gave a good account of himself uh, back in April. The men's classic, the bronze event, that was won by teenage sensation Luke Littler, who in his first trip for a WDF event outside of the UK and Ireland uh, won a title and he beat Yella Klaassen in the final. It was a brilliant final performance from Luke. Won 5-1, sealed victory with a 140 out and finished with a a 95 average and five maximums. Uh, Really impressive performance from the boy. And prior to that point, it had been an absolute breeze for him. To reach the semi-finals, he'd won all five games uh, without dropping a leg, 
smacked in 14 140s and four maximums in 20 legs of darts for a running average of 93.5. So really good stuff from him. Again, slight dip for the semi-finals, only an 89 average, but had far too much for, for slightly out of sorts. Aaron Monk won that one 4-1. Just a word on the, the world champion, Neil Duff. He went over to Romania to get some more match practice ahead of his trip to the Australian Open in August. Probably a little bit disappointed given how he played to have only got to the quarterfinals of both tournaments. You know, obviously quarterfinals are a great run for anyone, especially to do two of them back-to-back days. But he might have felt, and I certainly felt, you know, watching some of his games, that he probably had more in the tank and could possibly have gone all the way in one of them. Went out 4-3 to Mike Gillett in the classic quarterfinals, a really tight game, that one. And then, as I mentioned, he lost 4-2 to Jordan Brooks in the Open last day. I know he's off to the England Open in a couple of weeks' time, and I think that will be the last WF action for him before that trip over to Australia at the beginning of August. Bo Greaves was the standout name in the ladies' competition. I think uh, when I put the seeds out the other day, all the reaction I saw was that everyone expected her to absolutely dominate the weekend. And I suppose it's surprising, in a sense, that she only won one of the two titles on offer. In the open, silver-graded event, she won it without dropping a leg in the whole tournament, averaged 82, 75 and 88 in her three games before the final, and then in a title decider, whitewash Joe Clements 5-0 to win her sixth title of the year. It's getting a bit silly how dominant she is now. I know there were a few comments this weekend that she really should be going to the PDC Women's Series and testing herself against you know, Lisa Ashton, Fallon Sherrick and all of those on a more consistent basis. But to be honest, she spoke a lot at Lakeside about playing the darts that she wants to and playing the darts where she's going to enjoy herself and enjoy playing the game. Now, I think a lot of that probably stems from the dartitis issues she was having last year. And ultimately, the decision of where she plays and what she plays is down to her. She's free to play what she wants. You know, it's not up to anybody else. And if she's playing these WF events and enjoying herself and playing well then just let her run with it. And long may it continue, because she's producing a phenomenal standard. And as I've always said, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if she's playing well, it's going to push the other ladies on the tour to to play well as well. So, um, yeah, fair play to her. Uh, But it was nice to see Jo Clements have a good run as well. She was one of my favourite guests of the year so far when she was on uh, just before she made her lakeside debut. She was playing really well at the start of the year, obviously won a title in Slovakia, played well at Lakeside uh, and then lost the Scottish Open final in late April to, to Dieter Hedman. But she's dropped off over the last sort of six weeks or so. So it was nice to see her back on it in Romania and pick up 56 points in the, in the Open towards what she hopes will be a return to the World Championships next year. Now, in the other tournament, Beau Greaves looked similarly dominant, hadn't dropped a leg. And then in the semi-finals, she ran into Ros Bulmer who beat her 4-2. Roz was hoping to win her first ever WDF title in the final, uh, but she ran into an informed Yitka Cicerova. Uh, Yitka from the Czech Republic, she hadn't won a title on the WF Tour prior to last weekend in Hungary. She did the double there and then won her third title in the space of nine days in Romania. Uh, and obviously, Romania being in the Eastern European region and her, her being from a country in that region, she's now got a very sizable lead in the ranking table ahead of Veronica Ihash. So, uh, Veronica's got a lot of work to do. There are some events left. There's a doubleheader in Serbia, doubleheader in Hungary, and of course the Czech Open later in the year. But Veronica's got a lot of work to do at the moment if she's going to prevent Cicerova from making a World Championship debut next year. 
But that's a recap of all the action this weekend, some really good stuff to follow. And as always, it was fantastic to see almost all of it on Dart Connect. It just makes it so much more accessible and so much easier for people to follow. And if the darts are easy to follow, you're going to get more interest in it. So it's a very big win-win for the organisation. Uh, next weekend, though, is a rare off weekend for the WDF Tour. Not a single event in sight. There aren't many of those weekends left, so you've got to appreciate them before the end of the year. Um, the tour comes back the second weekend of July, though. There's the England Open weekend down in Breen Sands, a couple of silver events, and there's a doubleheader in Serbia as well. The Appleton Open returns, and they've added another competition this year, the Serbian Open, so two bronzes there. Fairly low entries at the moment for Serbia, but hopefully they'll pick up uh, a bit before then. Uh, England, when I last looked, there were about 130 men entered, which was lower than I was expecting, but hopefully that will pick up before the the deadline. And at next week, shall be back next week, I'll be looking through the fields and, and making a couple of predictions about who I think will go well. But that's all from me this week. I just want to give a couple of shout-outs uh, before I go. First is to our friends over at the Weekly Dance Cast. After appearing on the show a couple of times as a guest, I stood in for Burton DeWitt on last week's show as a co-host. So if you've not heard enough of my voice already, go and give that a listen wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Alex and the team do a fantastic job with the pod, so it was nice to go on. And there were three great interviews on the show last week with uh, World Cup winner Damon Hetter, England international Scott Williams, and Italy's rising star Aurora Focusato. Uh, and the second shout-out is to friend of the show Steve Holmes, part of the Big Five Sports Management Group. Uh, Steve started doing a comedy course uh, recently and he's got his first solo gig of sorts this coming Monday night which I'll be going down to support so really looking forward to that one and hopefully catching up with a few darty people as well while I'm there um, but as I say that's all for this week I'll be back next week want to give a big thank you to Hope I for his time on this week's show and to you guys for listening your support is always greatly appreciated uh, but in the meantime you can follow me on Twitter at amsinclair97 you can follow the podcast at Inside the WDF. You can like the Facebook page, Inside the WDF, and you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you on the other side.